podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp, bringing you another inspiring, interesting, curious episode today. Today we're talking about luck. And I want to say first thank you to Charlie, who is the one that reached out and asked this question. When he emailed us, his email was so in-depth, I had to read it. It was just so thought out. And he said something that I've been thinking about for a long time and I have a position on. We constantly are berated by these young millionaire billionaires, 30 under 30 and the youngest billionaires. And they've created these web apps that took off and they've created the Twitters and the Snapchats and the Facebooks. And it seems like they're just so lucky. They were in the right place at the right time. And Charlie asked, what role does luck play in our life? And if it is an overriding factor, how should less successful people cope until they reach that peak in life where luck just comes together? And also, how can you optimize this luck? Because I think a lot of people agree that my, my college roommate used to always say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And he was such a nerd for saying that, but it's actually true. You just keep putting yourself out there and you try and try and try hard. You work hard. And then when things come together, everyone says, he was just lucky. Overnight success. You've heard that again and again on the show. The thing Charlie was asking is, how do you optimize this luck? How do you create it if it is something that can be created? So I looked into it and I found a guy, Richard Weissman, who is an expert on luck. I'd actually read studies that he was the one that came up with them. So Richard began his life working as a professional magician, and now he currently holds Britain's only professorship in the public understanding of psychology. So he's a psychologist at heart, but he really researches luck, change, perception, and deception. He's written a number of books, all ones that I promised you would enjoy. I know you guys, I know what you're thinking as you're driving in your car. You're always trying to learn that new thing, that tap into the brain. And some of the books he's written are just so fantastic, and we touch on a lot of them in this episode today. Obviously, the one that made me reach out to him is called The Luck Factor. Richard is the most followed British psychologist on Twitter. His YouTube channel has received over 300 million views, and one Scientific American columnist described him as the most interesting and innovative experimental psychologist in the world today. Before we get to the episode, you can connect with us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check it out. You can see the posts that I write highlighting some of the things that I enjoyed in the episode. The main thing we ask is if you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a comment, a review, a rating. Shout out to Mel Dizzledizz. That is her iTunes handle for the amazing review she left. Warm my heart. And then as of a few days ago, Mr. Two Chaps, also a great review. We appreciate it. Hope this episode makes that commute of yours or that work day of yours a little bit better. Smartpeoplepodcast.com, bringing you Richard Weissman and how to be lucky. (laughs) 
Well, Richard, let's dive in. First, thank you so much for being on the show today. This broad topic of psychology and then all the things you touch on is our listeners' favorite subject. When we did a poll, everybody just seems to be interested in how things work, why the brain, our thought process. So I'm really excited to jump into everything that you cover. People are making a shrewd decision there. Um, (laughs) Psychology is absolutely fascinating, uh, in part because it's all about us. And there's nothing more interesting uh, than than you and me uh, and the people listening as well. So, um, yeah, very happy to be chatting about it. Well, is that that why you kind of got into it? Or let's back up. How did you get into – I mean, you are – I read you hold Britain's only professorship in the public understanding of psychology. Did I get that right? That's absolutely very good, yes. So how did Um, you get to that point? I got into it because I got into magic very, very young. So as a kid, I used to go and visit my grandfather at the weekends. He wished to show me a magic trick. It was always the same magic trick. Uh, I badgered him to um, uh, tell me how it was done. And he did a very wise thing. He, he never told me the solution. But one weekend, he said, you know what? The answer is in a magic book, and that's in the public library. But he didn't tell me which book it was. So I had to go to the public library and read all these magic books. Uh, and then I realized that I, I loved magic and, and so on. And because magicians are using psychology all of the time but there was one particular magic book that said if you want to be a really great magician you have to get audiences to like you and the best way of doing that is to read Dale Carnegie's book How to Win Friends and Influence People. So I went off and read this book and it is an astounding book it's still one of my favourite books um, and it's basically applied social psychology and it's very good and, and the writing style is, is amazing and so because of that I just became hooked and um, you know ever since that age probably I guess I was probably 16 or 17 when I read that book, um, I've just been fascinated by the way in which people communicate and, uh, and interact with one another. You know, I'm really glad you brought up the book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one that I read early on as I was going through sales and finance. I figured, well, if I can influence people, I can make a lot of money. And I remember, I very distinctly remember reading it and two things happened. One was a lot of the things in there, I felt like I kind of intuitively knew and I just assumed, and I have never talked about this, I assume that most people know that. And the second thing was the things that I didn't know or didn't do already seemed kind of overwhelming when you talk about, oh, you should do this in this situation. Here's the eye contact. Here's the, I realized, man, I don't want to change (laughs) Or really focus on those things. I just really remember that about that book. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting book. Uh, I mean, it's somewhat dated now in terms of uh, some of the language in there. But the the concepts, I think, are are very sound. And what Carnegie did was to tour America, uh, giving talks to very large groups of people. And the chapters are actually the transcripts of those talks after he'd ironed out all of the different problems. And one of the reasons why they move along so quickly is because in a talk you have to do that rather than on the the printed page where normally you can be a bit more leisurely. So I I think... great lesson uh, in, in how to communicate. And I actually find the concepts there, they are very simple, they are very straightforward, but you know that we're finding out more and more they are grounded in, in good social psychology. So I'm a fan of that. He then did um, Stop Worrying and Start Living, which is another uh, great book. And then actually his third book, which not many people know about, uh, is, is called The Guide to Effective Speaking. And it's still the best book on how to give a talk. Um, and he says at the beginning of that book, you know, if you're teaching public speaking, just get a group of people one at a time to stand 
stand up and talk about well, the one lesson they've learned in their life. And he said, none of those talks will be boring. And I've done that with groups of people. And he's absolutely right. So he's, he's a bit of a hero of mine, as, as you might be able to tell. And this happens usually once every couple episodes, but I just got goosebumps, especially about for the guide to effective speaking, because I've recently started to dabble in that world. I'd like to keep going forward. I love getting up in front of people. I feel like through the podcast and through life experiences, I've gained a lot and I have not read that book. And so, it, it, yeah, no, it's, it, it is, it's great. And, and I mean, I, I spend my life giving talks and I looked through it and thought, my goodness, even though it's written in the thirties, um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. He understands the power of, of narrative. Uh, and I remember I used to start one of my talks on, on the psychology of luck by putting up these stats uh, about how many lucky and unlucky people there were in the world and so on. And then one day I, I read Carnegie's book again and thought, you know, I'm going to start off with a story. I'm going to start off with a story of the unluckiest person I've ever met and you could tell the audience which is emotionally hooked at that moment and and so i again i just think he nails it even though it was all those years ago wow i love that well and you mentioned kind of your talks on luck and the number of talks you give and it's hard to focus in this interview because as i look at your books all of them are an episode within themselves so you have the luck factor you have the as if principle 59 seconds and all of these things are uh, as i as i went and looked through them they're kind of proven methods to, through understanding the brain, making positive change. Do you think that's a, a fairly decent summation of the unifying method in all of your books and studies? I, I think it is, uh, and, and well done for finding that, because I've never have uh, found that in the, the 10, 15 years <laughs> I've been writing. Uh, so I, I think they are all evidence-based. They're all about getting academic psychology out to the public in an accessible way because there is so much bad science out there when it comes to um, psychology. And so I can remember um, picking up lots of self-help books when I started to look at uh, psychology and they'd all talk about the Harvard motivational study, this idea that researchers go into a um, a, a classroom with uh, four or five-year-olds and they ask the kids what you want to be when you grow up and only 3% of the kids know the answer but you follow that cohort for 20 years and that three percent are responsible for 90 percent of the income of the group so it's an argument for focusing early and I remember reading that and thinking you know what I've never come across that study in academia and that's a big study if you're following a group of kids for 20 years and so I asked around my colleagues and they asked their colleagues and none of us could find it because that study has never been conducted and yet you'll find it in lots and lots of self-help books and and so my books are an attempt to set the record straight and say look this is what academics think these are the experiments they've done please don't just trust the word of practitioners who aren't backing up their stuff with references because you'll be trusting somebody who may or may not know what they're talking about. I'm so glad you say that just because I've almost started to get jaded sometimes. We read a lot of books, we talk with a lot of people, a lot of them are experts, and almost all of them are great. And we try to do a good job of the people we get on the show. They're here to pass along good information rather than just sell a product or pitch an idea that didn't have much behind it. But in this space, we also we get into the internet, we read articles, and it's baffling how much is out there. It's almost impossible to figure out what has been, you know, what has been vetted, what is scientifically proven. It's just getting too tough these days. 
It, it really is. Um, and, uh, and another, I mean, when I was researching, uh, I think it was 59 seconds, you know, I came across the, the work on visualization. And, and again, every practitioner will tell you to visualize the perfect you, imagine where you want to be in five years' time and all of that, and it will magically happen. When you actually work, look at the work on, on visualization, that is one of the worst things you can tell people because they become discouraged very quickly and then quite fatalistic. They think, well, I've, I've tried that. That was supposed to work. It didn't. There's no point in trying anything else and so isn't that some of these things are not only not true but actually they could be actively harmful and and so the, the books are an attempt to, to set the record straight and to say to people look psychologists do research this stuff and to the best of our understanding at the moment this is what we think works and then this this doesn't work uh, and so I guess that's a thread that's underpinning a lot of the work that I do. Sure, sure. And at the risk of taking too many topics and just broadly covering them, here's I'd like to touch on your book, 59 Seconds, because it, it as you kind of explained it, it exposes the self-help myths. And I think that that's something you tell somebody and they go, wait, wait, I've read self-help books. What did I get wrong? So I want to touch on that and then focus the rest of it primarily on the luck factor because we actually had a listener, Charlie, reach out and he wrote me a really long summary about luck and how our interviews have kind of changed his idea of luck and success. And so I said, all right, I'm going to find the expert. And that's how I got to you. So I'd like to then uh, spend the second half talking about the luck factor. Does that sound good? That sounds good. I like the sound of Charlie. He's, oh. he's, he's, a, he's a man who knows uh, the, the way forward in life. So oh my I gosh. Guess, yeah. It was, he wrote one of the coolest emails. He even put a PDF together with a chart that showed like the, his path and where luck he wants it to intersect, but where he thinks it is. It was really crazy. I said, Charlie, we're going to get somebody on. So there's <laughs> a shout out to him. But uh, real quick, before we turn into luck here, let's talk about 59 seconds because self-help myths, I think I love self-help. I, I devour it. I'm actually going to do another podcast soon on kind of that topic. So I'd love to hear before I do that, where should we start looking? When we think about self-help, where should we go? You know what? Uh, here's how we need to approach that topic. Well, I, I think it's problematic for people because the um, psychologists carry out research. They then write it up in journal articles, which are reasonably difficult for uh, people to read unless you have a background in psychology in the sense that they often use jargon. They then publish them in fairly obscure journals. And often there's nobody kind of going, hold on a second, this is what that literature is actually saying. And so 59 was, was an attempt to, to do that. And it's called 59 seconds because often it turns out the answer, the thing you do need to learn, you can learn in, in less than a minute. Um, the original title for the book was 60 seconds until my editor pointed out that that was a minute where if there were things that are less than a minute then 59 seconds was technically the um, <laughs> uh, right right title um, so so I, I, it, it chunks through happiness and motivation and persuasion and in all of those areas I just looked at what was popular and, and then had a, a sort of investigation into whether or not it was true and time and again I found out this stuff wasn't so if you take um, brainstorming for example you know the idea that if you want to get some good ideas you should all sit around the table on a Wednesday afternoon and, and kick around some ideas. Turns out, terrible idea. Um, because what actually happens, you might imagine, is one or two people dominate the uh, conversation. And who knew uh, the most dominant people aren't always the most creative. So a very simple tweak on that is for everyone to brainstorm on their own, to come up with three or four answers um, uh, to uh, the particular problem. And then when you get together, you go around the group and everyone discusses all of their solutions. So it's a very simple tweak. Psychologists have known for about 25 years that it increases 
increases uh, both originality and number of ideas by around about 20%. That should be known in every organization in the world. It simply isn't because brainstorming feels intuitively correct. And what we're finding out again and again is our intuitions about how our mind works and how we interact simply aren't right. That's why you need psychology. When, when people are looking into these different things and we need psychology for it, was there any underlying themes you found that like, man, this, this came up while I was looking at persuasion and memory and, you know, visualization, this kind of one thing that is not necessarily true, but is being touted often? I don't think there was anything underlying because those areas often use a pull on different areas of psychology. Mm -hmm. I I think what I would say is um, in some areas, for example, uh, parenting and uh, happiness and motivation – People who are adopting a Freudian approach, uh, that that particular approach I'm very sceptical of, and that would bubble up again and again. And, of course, Freud's model of mind is sort of the iceberg model, which is that we're only conscious of a very small amount of uh, what's going on in our heads, which is the the little bit of the iceberg, as it were, above the water. And what you're not seeing or what you don't know about is the massive amount below the water, what he referred to as the the unconscious. Now, actually, modern-day psychology backs that up. What he thought was going on, though, was every time you have an aggressive or a sexual thought or something which isn't socially acceptable, you push it down into the unconscious and then it bubbles up in you know, your dreams or Freudian slips or whatever. Um, and that gives rise to all sorts of models of parenting and understanding yourself and, and therapy and so on, for which there is no evidence, hardly any evidence uh, at all. And so I'm quite critical of anybody that takes a, a sort of Freudian stance. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean... I was reading uh, something because I'm I, I'm being trained as a life coach right now, and I was reading something the other day about the different forms of psychology that uh, over time how they evolved, and then there was actually somebody who said in your life for during you know certain life uh, during certain ages there's various types of psychology which makes make more sense. So it was like you know from zero to five Freudian, and then from five to ten use uh, Carl Jung, and then you know I don't know I thought that was interesting, but. I just get overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, I I think people don't perhaps grasp what psychology is in the sense of there are different models of of the human being. And and, uh, some of them, you know, social psychologists focus on interaction, cognitive and what's going on in the head in terms of memory, uh, perceptual psychologists, obviously on perception, uh, and so on, Freudian uh, on the, the role of the unconscious. And I don't think any one model is right and will give you all of the answers. I I think what you need to do is develop a kind of 360 view where you understand when to apply which of the models and and so on. And they will change over time. You know, Freudian psychology isn't very popular at the moment. I don't think it's taught in the UK uh, at all at at, uh, university where cognitive psychology is is, uh, much more popular. So I I think that it's not a topic for people who enjoy ambiguity. You know, if if you really like solid facts then and stick to physics and chemistry and, and so on. On. Psychology is much more um, of an art form in, in that sense, in, in that you have to be able to understand that your topic would look different if you look at it from different angles, but that's all part of the beauty of it. We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors. On Smart People Podcast, we touch on a lot of subjects every week, but how do you take that curiosity even further? You have to learn more, and that's where lynda.com comes into play. One of my favorite sponsors because they are carrying our mission forward as well. So kickstart your new year and challenge yourself to learn something new with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com. 
Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, business, visual design, WordPress, and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts, just like the ones from Smart People Podcast. For example, there is a great online marketing course, which is taught by Brad Batesel, a 12-year entrepreneur, featured in Entrepreneur Magazine as a young entrepreneur. There's another course on there that's great. You know I love anything about neuroscience, the neuroscience of learning. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash smart people. You'll get unlimited access to every course. So indulge that curiosity, be that smart person, and sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com by visiting lynda.com slash smart people. Yeah, the, the thing you mentioned about ambiguity, I had another thought about psychology in general because I love it. I'm continuing to learn more and I want to utilize it to help people in various ways. And one of the things I, I kind of got a little nervous about was it seems like every 50 or so years, we kind of disprove what we previously thought. So do you ever think like, oh, I'm, I'm discovering all these things and in 50 years, they're just going to prove I was wrong? <laughs> um, well, hopefully it's, it's not wrong so much as there's simply another way of looking at the, the, the human condition mm. and that that gives you another perspective on it, which will be helpful under certain circumstances. Mm. So if you take behaviorism, which was primarily running rats through mazes and, and looking at stimulus and response, um, that, that's, that is true. That's how we operate some of the time in certain circumstances. If you look at cognitive psychology, the role of memory and so on, that's true. That's how we operate in other circumstances. So you have to be comfortable with with applying different models in different scenarios. Um, but it does really matter because if your model of, uh, of people is, for example, that their genes, you know, their personality and their IQ is entirely in their genes and that make up their brains and that's pretty much it and it's unchangeable. Well, if you believe that about yourself and others, you act in a way that that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You think, well, I can't change. There's not much point in trying and there's not much point in trying to get other people to change either. And then because you don't try and change, you don't change. So the model you adopt for yourself and others really matters because it's a reflective topic. You actually create that worldview by believing it in the first place. That reminds me of this model. Uh, I think it's the first person I heard mention it is Brooke Castillo. She actually has a podcast that I listen to sometimes and I'm going to get it wrong probably, but it was something along the lines of thoughts create emotions, emotions create actions, and actions create results. And I thought that was really interesting and I could see how it ties into what you're saying because if it kind of originates from our thoughts and then we just take things for face value, we think that way, eventually that is going to be the shape of our life. Yes, that, that, that's right. I mean, the, the model you adopt, so if, if you think, um, look, talking therapies don't work, basically we are our brains. And the only way to influence brains is, you know, by taking some kind of chemical or physically, you know, cutting out part of the brain or something like that. Then you think, well, that's, that's what we've got to do in order to change. We've got to get people to take certain uh, drugs or, or, or uh, meddle with their, their brains. There's no point in talking to them. And that would be the neurocognitive approach to mankind, as it were. Um, if you're a psychologist, if you think, no, actually talking to people changes their thoughts, then that's what you'll do. So the approach that you adopt um, really dictates how you go about trying to change yourself and others. So, so it's very important to be very careful about the beliefs that you hold about how your mind works. Sure, sure. Well, at the risk of, again, going down the rabbit hole, because I, I love this stuff, I, I'd like to dive into the luck factor. I really want to help Charlie out here. 
and uh, figure out what this whole luck thing is. And so the first thing, actually, I was wondering is, would you be able to tell us that story uh, that you mentioned about the unlucky individual? <laughs> um, I absolutely can. Uh, so th- th- if we just back up very slightly, the luck work came off of some work I was doing into the paranormal um, where uh, people were, I was asking people, did you believe in ghosts and UFOs and so on? And lots of people would say, well, I don't really believe in that stuff, but I do believe in luck. I do believe in destiny. I do believe in, in fate. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And at the point, this was probably 15 uh, or more years ago now, um, and the people really hadn't done very much work into luck. So people had said, well, this is either superstitious nonsense or like winning or losing a lottery, you know, or, or roulette. It's just chance. There's no science to be done. And yet when I started to talk to people, I realized that most people do believe in some form of, of luck. Even skeptics, um, you know, will go touch wood or cross my fingers or, or whatever. And so I thought I'd unpack that. And I did that by advertising in newspapers and magazines, um, saying I was interested in luck. And if you considered yourself a lucky or unlucky person, then please let me know. And we put together a cohort of about a thousand exceptionally lucky and unlucky people, and then did various experiments with them to try and work out what was going on. So to answer your question, uh, I think our luckiest, uh, sorry, our unluckiest uh, person uh, was Marie. Um, and she had all sorts of things, but one of them was uh, eight car accidents in one 50-mile journey. Oh, that's just uh, a bad driver. Well, indeed. <laughs> we, she, she, put, she thought it was down to her jinxed green car, right. and then she came to the university one day, and we watched her trying to park and realized there were a few other factors <laughs> in there uh, as well. Um, and she was unlucky in love, so she signed up with a dating agency, and her first date came off his motorbike and uh, broke his leg. The next date walked into a glass door and broke his nose, and eventually... Uh, when she found someone to marry, uh, the church was burnt down one day before the wedding. And she had just got endless stories like this of these terrible things happening to her. And, and the question that was going through our minds is, why should her life be like that when the next person uh, into the office uh, with the research was incredibly lucky, always fallen on their feet, uh, life was charmed. And, and we just wanted to know really why people were leading these different lives. Man, when you tell that story, I do instantly. I'm like, well, that's then that has to be luck. That's just too much. And I'm sure that's what you went into. So the cool thing I like about the luck factor is you bring the science into it. I mean, you bring a lot of interviews, research. So cutting to the chase, kind of what did the science prove about this idea of luck? Well, the first thing we found out was the lucky and unlucky people had no insight in, into why they were living the lives they were. So uh, they would all say, well, it just seems like magic to us. We're not doing anything. We're not putting any time or effort into this. Things either just work out badly or, or well for us, depending on whether they were unlucky or lucky. As soon as we started doing some studies and asking them to complete some questionnaires or secretly filming them or, or whatever, you saw such huge differences between the groups. So if you take the notion of opportunity, the unlucky people would say they never got a break. The lucky people are uh, saying they got opportunities all the time. We would do studies where we'd ask them to arrive at the university and they'd park in a particular car park, which meant that as they walked to the psychology building, we knew they passed posters, which had got large opportunities on them. We knew they passed uh, notes, £5 notes, £10 notes that we'd put onto the floor. Um, and we knew that when they got to the psychology department and we asked them to look through a newspaper, for example, while they were waiting for an experiment, again, big opportunities, big advertisements in there, things like uh, tell the experiment you've seen this and win £100. Uh, pounds. 
And time and again, the unlucky people just missed all of this stuff. They went straight past the money on the floor and the adverts. The lucky people would stop and go, wow, look at that. You know, do I get my money? And we'd, we'd explain it was just an experiment. They weren't that lucky. Um, but the, the concept is, is very straightforward that, that people, some people notice opportunities and, uh, and others don't. It's not as if they're living in, in separate worlds. It's the same world. It's their perception that's changed. Yeah, and I'm I'm well aware of those studies. I actually read an article years ago. I mean, it had to be six years ago about luck. And it referenced the study that I just found out in doing this research that you were the one that did it. And it was the one with the advertisements in the magazine. And I think you had people count pictures. and then, But in it, you said, oh, there's 34 pictures. Stop counting and you win money. Does that ring a bell? That's the one. That's okay, one yeah. of the ones we did. Um, okay. And so all of these studies, uh, because no one had done any research into luck, we, we didn't really know what to do. So we'd sort of sit there and go, well, opportunities. Let's see what happens when we present people with opportunities. What opportunities can we give them? And, and because we're kind of social psychologists, we rarely – our experiments are rarely about what they appear to be about um, because we're more interested in, in sort of natural behavior. And so in that particular one, yes, um, you know, the, the lucky people would notice the advertisements. And and the reason for that is that when you become anxious and worried, what's called an attentional spotlight, the, the sort of area of the world that you're actually seeing, becomes very, very small. Um, and, and this happens if, if people are involved in accidents or you know, in, in emergency situations. They don't see the bigger picture. They focus on what they think is important. And lucky people who are more playful and more creative and happier and cheerful have a much larger attentional spotlight. They're just literally taking in more of the world and so seeing these opportunities um, and perhaps more importantly are not afraid to act on them to say something about them when they spot them so it was it was fascinating to see two groups of people presented with the same scenario and perceive it and respond to it in such different ways and you know i think in the context of which charlie reached out to me regarding luck i've thought about luck this makes a lot of sense because we've talked to a lot of ceos a lot of successful people and we often hear things like, oh, I, I fell into it or I, I didn't mean to get here and all these things, but they do and they end up being wildly successful. Meanwhile, we have a lot of people, and I think sometimes myself included, who are just grinding, just trying so hard to make good things happen. And in my case, I kind of enjoy it and I consider it just a journey and creation. So I just, I just start and do a lot of things. But at some point, I'm like, man, it'd be great if one of these really took off so I didn't have to work so hard. So, And, and we're also conditioned. We see these outliers, right? Now in the, in the media, we see the next tech startup. We see the next 20-year-old CEO making a million dollars. And we wonder, man, was he just lucky? And so I'd like to hear from you what you think those individuals do differently to get to that place earlier. Well, uh, the, the truth is that some of it could just be luck. They are literally in the right place at the right time. Um, if it is a consistent trend throughout their lives, though, and that's what we were interested in with our lucky and unlucky people, is that the consistency means they're doing something a little bit different. Uh, part of it uh, is they simply may have good ideas. Um, and we all think we have good ideas, but of course, you know, really good ideas that take off and have energy of their own and so on are, are, are quite rare. So I've been involved in the nonfiction book for 
line of work for, I don't know, 15 years now, I have seen hundreds of proposals of non-fiction books. Um, and yesterday I saw one which made me go, oh my goodness, that is the best idea I've ever seen in a decade. I cannot believe no one has ever thought of that before. This is going to be a huge bestseller. And all the indications is that that's, that's probably the case. So, so, you know, good ideas are out there. Wait, um, is that book published yet? No, oh, no okay. it, it's 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 out in I, I can't say too much about it, but sure. it's out in another country okay. and has already sold two million uh, copies wow. uh, in that uh, that particular territory, and now it's going to be uh, coming out around the world. But it's a very very simple idea, and you kind of think, my goodness, um, that that's 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 going to be incredible. So so the answer so the answer of it, I think part of it is, is that actually people have good ideas, but also to make good ideas happen, you probably have to connect with others. You've got to get other people to buy into your vision. You've got to have energy about it, enthusiasm, to probably be a team player uh, rather than, than somebody who's just trying to do everything themselves and to get everyone to come along with you. So I, I think a lot of their enthusiasm, uh, their charisma, often these are people that can induce their own passion in others. Um, I, I think all those things are key things that underlie a lucky life. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Now, can luck be learned? Can people who want to create more luck do that and then what i would imagine is it's just due to work like the more stuff you do it, it might appear to be lucky but it's just because you're you're out there beating the streets i, I think there's this part of that uh, i think there are other factors as well but that that question of, of can you change your luck uh, is a very good example of uh, an idea that we didn't have even after 10 years of researching luck. So, so we're experimental psychologists. We spent a decade looking at the difference between lucky and unlucky people. Bizarrely, it never crossed our minds to try and change anyone's luck. Until one day I'm giving a talk um, and somebody in the audience asked exactly that question. It was an academic talk at a conference. And someone said, have you tried changing people's luck? And I thought, my goodness, that's, that's an interesting idea. Because again, as a psychologist, I could follow people for six months, a year, and we could try different interventions and, and so on. And so that's what we did in phase two of the research, which then led to the luck factor book. Um, so you know, these ideas are out there and they are all obvious once somebody points them out. And of course, the curious thing is why you never thought of them uh, before that moment. So to answer your question, yes, you can. Uh, we took about 250 people, got them to do very simple interventions, uh, which got them to think and behave like a lucky person. And lo and behold, uh, their luck increases. And it's very sticky stuff in the sense of um, that the luck maintains even after they stop doing some of the interventions, after they become uh, second nature. So, yes, we were the first people, I think, to do sort of science, as it were, into self-help and actually follow people as they try and change their lives. Well, and I know this is a lot of what you cover in The Luck Factor, so I'm not going to make you give away all your secrets because you also you do give exercises people can try and, and ways to increase their luck. I was wondering if you could give us a little a, a peek into that world. What's your favorite exercise or what's the, the easiest or best way or quickest way to increase our luck for the thousands of people out there going, <laughs> driving right now going, man, I, I want to do this right now. If it were the simplest and most effective, effective thing, um, then I would probably go with something like the Luck Diary, which is that we are creatures um, of habituation. We, we get used to whatever our surroundings give us. So um, you know, if, if, if you walk into a room and it smells of coffee, and if you like the smell of coffee, that's great. Ten minutes in the room, you'll stop smelling the coffee because you've habituated to it. You've got used to it. You have to go outside the room to come back in to get the smell again. It is exactly the same with the car 
cars we buy, the houses we buy, we get used to them. And what the, the luck diary is about is breaking that circle by getting people to write down at the end of each day uh, with the one positive thing, the one most positive thing that has happened during that day, or the one thing for which they have a sense of gratitude, or the negative things that are no longer happening. So it focuses people on the good things in their lives just before they go to sleep. And the fact that it's just before you go to sleep is, is not by chance. It doesn't work so well if you do it in the middle of the day to do with uh, sleep and consolidation. Um, so, so getting people to, to do that after about a week or so actually has quite a dramatic effect. They, they realize there are good things in their lives and that they, are, they have some sense of, of, of self-worth and it increases self-esteem and so on. And that then acts as a springboard uh, for some of the beliefs about luckiness to, uh, to take off. So the luck diary is, is always our first kind of port of call with people. And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast. I have to tell you about one of Time Magazine's best gadgets in 2014. It's called Smart Things. Guys, we are living in the future, and it is amazing. Smart Things allows you to monitor, control, and automate your home from wherever you are using your smartphone. Have you ever wanted your coffee machine to start brewing when you wake up? How about your doors locking and unlocking automatically when you leave or arrive at your home? Well, now you can, and you can do other awesome things with smart things like set up Wi-Fi cameras for security, you can track your pets, find your keys if you misplace them, even install motion detection lights if you fumble around at night while trying to find the bathroom. The free smart things mobile app works with iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. To get started, follow the in-app instructions to connect to the smart things hub, then place all your sensors and devices around the house and everything is taken care of. Right now, SmartThings is offering Smart People Podcast listeners 10% off any of its home security or solution kits by going to smartthings.com slash smartpeople. That's right. You can get 10% off any home security or solution kit and get free shipping in the U.S. when you go to smartthings.com slash smartpeople. And I'm really glad you brought that up because one of the questions I actually did have written down is, some of this sounds a little bit like, you know, there's the book Think and Grow Rich, The Power of Positive Thinking, The Secret. I know there's a lot of, and I'm not saying it's identical. I'm just saying the idea of if you think about it, if you write it down, if you, uh, we talked about visualization, even though that's not necessarily true in that sense, um, then things will happen to you. And I'm wondering, some of those I know were written just because they'll sell books. Uh, the stuff you do is proven. So the science behind the idea of uh, writing it down or or thinking in a different way, what is that? What causes the luck behind that? Well, uh, to be clear, um, I'm not saying to people they should write down where they want to be or what they want to be. That's a very bad idea. Okay. What you do is you write down the good things that have happened or the one good, the best thing that's happened in the last 24 hours. Um, so it's about looking back and focusing on the good things that are already in your life. So it's, it's slightly different to some of the um, uh, visualization methods in some of those other books. And, and the science is is pretty straightforward. That, as I say, we get used to that stuff. It vanishes from our minds, and it's hard to maintain a positive, lucky outlook if you let that stuff vanish. I mean, the lucky people were so good at reminding themselves what they already had in their lives. Uh, and because of that, they were very, very resilient individuals. Um, you know, that the, the 
that you'd have one person maybe fallen down the stairs and broken their leg and they got their leg in the cast and you'd say well do you consider yourself unlucky and they're saying you're kidding you know it was, it was just my leg I could have broken my neck or last time I went to hospital I met a nurse we fell in love we're still happily married 25 years later best thing that ever could have happened to me they are the resilient people because bad things happen to everyone and then part of the way of building up that resilience is, is the luck diary yeah and you know I love that because my personal view on this and you can tell me if it's backed by research is that a lot of luck comes from being unafraid to do different things just try things out i mean the amount of times it's happened in my life is is incredible but i remember when i go back to the beginning i got laughed at almost like the company that i've been with for two years and have helped grow from one employee to 16 and just really had a blast doing i read about it on a, a random craigslist ad you know, and it was just way, way before the company was even uh, put together. It was more of just a brainstorm throwing it out there. The guy that put it out, our CEO, he worked with Elon Musk. He's, he's a really smart guy. I've learned a ton. And so I, I feel like it's one of those things. It comes down to uh, are you willing to try new things? And you will be more willing if you realize where new things have gotten you in the past. I think that's right. It, I, I think there is a law of unintended consequences that there's no way you could ever predict the results of putting yourself out there and trying new things. So, for example, um, in 2000, I can't remember, it was 2007 or 2009 now, um, we, we did a clip for YouTube, a video on YouTube called The Color Changing Card Trick, which was uh, a psychology-based clip, kind of an illusion thing, which we put together literally because we're sitting in the lab and we got a spare afternoon and it was a fun thing to do. We're just messing around and we put this thing out there. It goes viral and because of that, Penn and Teller, the American magicians, saw it and now there's a live item in their Vegas act based on that video and so you know I'm friendly with Teller and, and, and so on. Now that could not have happened had we not done the clip but there's no way we sat in the lab thinking I know let's put this thing out there because then somebody like Penn and Teller might watch it. I think it is the law of unintended consequences. You put yourself out there and my goodness people uh, similarly minded or whatever will come to you and bring good luck. And do you think some of that is being open to the – you mentioned playful earlier, and I think that's such a good way of being – like being open to the consequences, being open to I might get this wrong or people might laugh at me, people might judge me, but who knows? And and like with this podcast, right, a lot of people talk about the fear of starting a podcast or a blog. And going back, we weren't really that fearful of judgment because we didn't really care at first, you know? And look what ended up happening. So does it sometimes come down to that, just be willing to accept the consequences? I, I think so. And, and the fact that you're trying something new and you haven't got a reputation to lose uh, is often why people who are starting off in any particular industry are, are very innovative and very creative. Once they become successful, then they worry about losing that reputation. And so it turn out, ironically, uh, not to be so creative in, in future ventures. And I think part of being playful is you're very flexible. And so if something comes along, you think, okay, what we were doing originally might not have worked, but let's go off in this new direction, where now lots of kind of, if you like, old-fashioned organizations are like dinosaurs. They can't change direction that quickly. And so when a new piece of media comes along or a new approach or whatever, they're still locked in the old ways, where if you're being playful and you're small and having fun and creative, you just go with what, whatever it is that's coming along. You and, and I think all of that underlies a, a sort of lucky approach. Now, in the book, the, actually, the subtitle is The Four Essential Principles. And you talk about creating chance opportunities, 
thinking lucky, feeling lucky, and denying fate. And I think we've kind of touched on thinking lucky and creating chance opportunities for the feeling lucky and denying fate. Those seem very abstract. Could you kind of tell us a little bit more of what those are about? Well, one of the principles talks about uh, intuition. And the fact that that's got a pretty bad rap uh, in academic psychology. Um, and, and so what we did was return to that topic and realize that although some intuition is, is actually, you know, people just making stuff up, uh, a lot of the time it's based on expertise. It's, it's your brain being uh, rather wonderful at seeing a pattern, realizing there's something going on, even though consciously you, you can't quite put your finger on it. And the lucky people often trusted their intuition. The unlucky people either had no intuitions about a situation or if they did, they were very scared about uh, trusting them. So, so sort of feeling lucky, as it were, tackles that whole rather thorny issue of, uh, of uh, intuition and how to be uh, more intuitive, when to trust your intuition and when to uh, ignore it. Um, and what the other factor there is really about optimism uh, and the notion that optimism becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, if you expect things to go well, you attract other people to you, uh, you will persevere longer in the face of failure and so on and so it's the effect of just believing you're lucky and you will lead a lucky life the effect that that then has on your life well i know we're running long on time here i want to uh, ask you one more question this one a direct shout out to charlie uh as he was talking to me he mentioned you know he's he's in his job he's doing it he's doing a great job at his career and he's trying to move up the ladder he's really trying to make that luck point you know that that change that thing that catapults him and i was wondering what your advice would be on perhaps uh speeding up that curve you know if and and maybe it's just try new things maybe it's change the mindset um how do you think for people that are like look i'm going along i'm doing well but i'm not quite where i want to be how do i make magic I, I think that there's no simple answer to that because it depends on, on individuals and their circumstances. Um, in, in my experience, I, I think the question I would ask is, are you doing what you really love? Is this your passion? Do you get up in the morning and think, my goodness, thank goodness that I'm involved in this particular project? Do you think about it late into the night? Do you think about it the weekends? If the answer to those things is no, then you're probably not following your passion. And if you were, those questions wouldn't arise. So I, I'm, you know, what to, to make a living, but often people get by when actually they could be doing something which is far more exciting, but they just have that fear factor of, of moving to that place. Um, so I, I I think it depends on the individual circumstances, but that's one of the things we always used to talk to our lucky and unlucky people about. Sure, sure. Well, Richard, I I mean, I love the luck factor. I'm now, as soon as we get off this, I'm, I'm going to order 59 seconds because I can't wait to see what that's all about. For our listeners out there, we will link to your books on smartpeoplepodcast.com and they can just go straight through there and pick it up. Where else can they go? I know you do a lot of writing and it's fascinating stuff. Um, where else can they find you and what you're, you know, what you're up to these days? Uh, a lot of my stuff is on YouTube. Um, so the Quarkology YouTube channel, which is the name of another book, um, has about 280 million views, I think. Uh, so it's, it's got lots of my sort of illusion uh, work on there. There's another channel called In 59 Seconds, which are the videos which are less than a minute, uh, which, which talk about some of the content of the 59 Seconds book. And then there's my website, richardwiseman.com, which has the books and all the other writings and silly things that I'm involved in uh, on there. So yes, come along, take a look around, and 
I hope you enjoy it. That's fantastic. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll be sure to put a link to all those resources up in the show notes and look forward to what comes next. I'm, uh, and when that book comes out, the one that you said is just is blowing your mind, uh, let, let me know. Well, <laughs> well, not only will we have them on the show, but I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, well, thank you very much. And, uh, it's been a pleasure. All right, Richard. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Richard Wiseman. Always fascinating to hear things about the brain. I know you guys like that kind of stuff and have written into the show. So if you have additional guests that you'd like to hear from, please let us know right into the show at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode of Smart People Podcast, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating, review, comment, all that good stuff over there. And if you want to continue giving back to the show, one of the easiest ways is to shop Amazon through our Amazon link. So if you're doing shopping on Amazon, just go to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon or click the banner at the top of our page. Any purchase you make there, we will get a little kickback at no cost to you. It's a simple, free way to support the show. We truly do appreciate it. So if you guys keep doing that, We will keep doing this show and keep putting out content for you each week. That's about all I have for you guys this week. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.